my god, it's just speeding in it. Was those are the great stories? Cause speeding in it. In it, yes. Did you ever get never a got a ticket? Really? Never got a ticket, and I was most of the time I would drive it at ninety. When I would go up, but I think the highest I went up was like 105. Cause I'm a scary cat. I, there's no way I could go higher than 105. 105 was the number in my head that was like it's safe. Okay. You know, some people go to 120, and it's like, uh, I can't. No, it's probably not a good idea. No. 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 <laughs> and 105 gave me so much adrenaline that I was like, okay, I got it. I felt it. I'm gone. and welcome to a new edition of the award-winning Talking About Cars, where it's all about everybody has a car story, from celebrities to car personalities. I'm Randy Cardoon, and once again, the Talking About Cars microphone heads to the Hollywood show near LAX, where fans once again attended in big numbers to see their favorite celebrities, get autographs, and pose with them for pictures. So many of them have car stories that, well, we're going to have to let them tell those stories over several episodes here. Coming up, well, we'll have the 2003 Playboy Playmate of the Year, Raquel Pomplin, and her story of the car that they gave her to drive for a while because she won the award. And after that, a visit with NASCAR driver Matt Benedetto, who was driving in the Auto Club 400 in Fontana. But first... Robert Carradine. He's an actor best known for playing Louis Skolnick in the Revenge of the Nerd movies. You've seen the movie. Don't deny it. He was also in 2003's Lizzie McGuire movie and the subsequent TV series that came up after that. His car story begins with a whopper. My first car was an AC Ace. It was a 1956 AC Ace, the predecessor to the 289 Cobra. And this car, somebody had taken out the AC engine and put in a 289 Ford with an automatic. So basically it was a poor man's Cobra. That was your first car? That was my first car. How did. did you know about that car that early? Oh, well, when I was, uh, I think, 10 years old, I had my first subscription to Road and Track. I see. <laughs> so I was, like, way into cars. And there used to be these car lots on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood that had all of these... Uh, old unusual cars and they were reasonable i think i paid two grand for that ac ace and you know i wrecked it within six months and how old were you at the time 16. okay understandable I, I had not figured out that when the car starts to drift you give it more throttle not less <laughs> as a racing driver if any of you guys out there listening are racing drivers you'll know exactly what i'm talking about but uh, yeah i figured that out just a little bit after i crashed it mm -hmm. That's very cool. All right, so you learned that. What'd you go to from there? Uh, my brother Keith had a 1960 uh, Chevy Corvette, which he sold to me for 500 bucks. And uh, he changed the 283 for a 327, and I decided it needed to be fuel injected. So I went to a swap meet and picked up a Corvette fuel injection and put it on the car. A swap meet? Yeah. Okay. And then um, I crashed that one on Mulholland. <laughs> Now, are we talking Mulholland west of uh, the 405 or east of the 405? Oh, east of the 405. It's between Laurel Canyon and Coldwater Canyon. Okay. And if the race is really spirited, we'll go all the way to Beverly Glen. I but see. But we never went from Beverly Glen to Sepulveda. Just we didn't go on that part of the track. I see. So you were racing? 
Uh, yeah, actually, I was showing off to the guys that were waiting at the pits, which is the high point of the run that we made. And I decided, well, I'm going to really show them. And I never, ever took an inside line on a blind curve. But that night I did. And that was the night somebody was coasting down the hill with their lights off. So I made a, a diversionary tactic to go around the car I was about to head on with. And the 10 feet that I used to avoid the car was the 10 feet that I was off of the hill on Mulholland. <laughs> but luckily, I hit a telephone pole. Of course. And the car bounced back onto the road. So I lived to tell about it. But the car did not. Or did Well, it? actually, I sold the car, uh, I think, for a grand. And there is a gal in L.A. called Corvette Sonia. And I saw her about three or four months later. And she was driving my car around. And it looked perfect. So I was kind of bummed out. I mean, I know you read the magazine, but was the family much of a car family? I mean, oh, what, yeah. else, what were your influences? Uh, my brother, Christopher, major car freak. Uh, my father, John Carradine, major car freak. <coughs> he had a Duesenberg. So that was pretty cool. But Chris, Chris Carradine, who became an Imagineer for Disney, uh, he, he really... He, he set the, uh, the fever into me real good. When you say you raced, you were more of a track racer as opposed to a drag racer as opposed to, or did you do all of it? No, I did road racing. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, people don't believe it, but I learned how to road race on Mulholland Drive. I think the LAPD probably knew, but maybe not. Well, they didn't know it was me. <laughs> could, well, in this day and age of helicopters being there in 20 seconds, could you get away with that today? Possibly. <laughs> but I'm not going to find out. <laughs> oh, you're so optimistic. I like that. <laughs> well, and, and again, I, I was talking to Brian Toshi over here, and he, was, he mentioned the fact that you used to race something that resembled old police cars or something like that. Was that correct? Um, it's not that I raced those. But when we were doing Revenge of the Nerds, uh, I was on probation and had my license on probation because I'd wrecked my 69 Corvette uh, ditching the highway patrol. And on location, they had some unmarked police cars that they used in Revenge of the Nerds. And the Teamsters let me drive one of those cars. <laughs> and the way the car drove and looked and the free parking... I mean, I was just like, this is the answer for L.A. <laughs> Here's a car. I can drive exactly how I want. Free U-turns, free parking, speed unlimited most of the time. And they don't even see me. It was the perfect answer. Nobody messed with you at all? No. Nah. I mean, every now and then I would get pulled out of the car at gunpoint. Because <laughs> uh, I think one time I was in Hollywood and uh, they pulled me over. They got me out of the car at gunpoint. And, they look at my license and they go, oh, Robert Carradine, you the actor? I said, yeah. They said, oh, we thought you were the Hillside Strangler. Sorry. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> well, that was his M.O. Yeah, that's right. He did have an old police he, he car. He had an old police car and he would capture young damsels and strangle them. Ugh. Tell me a little bit about your road racing career and, and how much fun that was and, and really what races you've won, how much success did you have? Well, I went to the Bob Bondurant School of High Performance Driving, which was held at Sears Point Raceway at that time, and it was taught by Bob himself. And uh, 
I came out on top of my class, which I owe to Mulholland. And then uh, my first professional road race was a Daytona 24 Hours and a Daytona Ferrari that my brother David bought. And, uh, well, that didn't go so well. I was uh, trying really hard to be a pro, and I was out at night practice, and I, I realized that I hadn't checked all the gauges so I could report to the crew what the car's doing. So I, I go by the, the pits, and they wave me to come in. So I'm, I'm finishing the lap, and as I go by the pits and I, I go around turn one, I'm heading for turn two, and I check all the gauges out, having completely forgotten that turn two is coming at about 100-plus miles an hour. Because even though I wasn't shifting at Redline, I was still shifting at 6,000. So I slid off the end of the, uh, the track, and uh, I hurt the car just enough that the crew would have had to stay up all night to fix it. They couldn't magnaflux it to see if anything was cracked. I mean, it could have been done, but it was a three-car team, and they weren't going to sacrifice everybody's preparedness over my stupid mistake. But the next year we went, and we finished third in, third in class and eighth overall, the only non-Porsche in the top ten at the Daytona 24 Hours. So that was pretty cool. And the same time, uh, the same year, 1978, I drove in the Formula Ford Championship in the Northwest called the ICSCC. I won the championship. Uh, along the way, I won five races from the pole. So I was really in finding my, my sea legs, as it were, as a racing driver. Uh, 79, nothing much happened. 1980, I went back to go-karts because I wanted to stay fresh. And uh, around 1983, Dick Goldstrand hired me to drive his... Uh, showroom stock Camaro and I was teamed with uh, Don Knowles and Jim Cook and we won the 24 hours in Nelson Ledges so basically my showroom stock career went from uh, Camaros to Corvettes uh, we won the championship in 85 uh, 86 87 we were runner-up uh, I don't remember what happened in 88 but in 91 I started driving for Lotus and uh, I drove a Lotus Esprit Turbo for the factory, and that was sort of uh, my heyday as a racing driver. In 92, I drove in GTP, which are the flat-out sports racers like they race at Le Mans. So that was sort of my dream come true. And after that, um, fond memories. Yeah. What Was there a reason? I mean, do you have you done anything lately, or do you still just get out on go-karts, or do just to keep your hand in it, or...? No, I was going to race at uh, Barber Motorsports Speedway in Alabama, but uh, the ride that I was supposed to drive in, nobody had told that team that I was getting in the car. So when I showed up with my driver's suit and my helmet, they're like, what? <laughs> and in hindsight, I'm kind of glad that I didn't because, you know, I'm rusty. I haven't been on a track in a while, and if I was going to get back in a car, I'd like to have a day to get the rust out. There's a, there seems to be a stigma in a way of a lot of actors that go out and start driving. I mean, there's a bunch of them that have tried. Some are really good. I mean, you're talking the Paul Newmans and that kind of thing. Yourself was looking pretty good. And, and I'm wondering, did you ever run up against a, we don't know exactly what kind of actor turned driver you are? I did run up against that <clears throat> until they raced me. And then they begrudgingly said, you know, he's pretty fast. <laughs> and coincidentally, I drove with Paul uh, Newman on the Daytona Ferrari team, 
and I also drove with him on the Lotus team. And uh, I guess I should blow my own horn a little bit. When the Lotus team came to Sears Point, I was coming in from New York. And it was one of those nonstop flights that for some reason stopped twice. Once for a windshield, once for fuel. Oh. By the time I got to San Francisco, I'd already arranged to get a helicopter to Sears Point. As I'm coming in on the helicopter, I see that the session, the last session of the day that I would get to do, had just pulled out. And I was freaking out. And sure enough, one of the Corvettes crashed on the warm-up lap, so they red-flagged the session, which gave me time to get to the pits and change. They yanked Paul out of the car, stuffed me in it, and at the end of the session, I'd set the quick time for the Lotus team. And he said, how did you do that? I said, I went to school here. This is my favorite track. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I mean... I always felt that I was a race driver that acted as opposed to these actors that think they can race. That's kind of how I thought about it. Okay, so aside from Paul Newman, who do you think actor-wise was really good Um, that might surprise people? I think Craig T. Nelson was pretty good. He was driving some very grown-up machinery. Mm -hmm. It was basically uh, a Can-Am car that he was driving with a lot of power and he was setting decent times. Greg T. Nelson from Coach and along those lines. Did you ever go to a race in the Long Beach Grand Prix? I wanted to. I was hoping that they'd put me in as a celebrity and I get to start near the front and then just leave everybody for dead because (laughs) I have all this experience in Shoreham stock cars. Uh Didn't work. I I never got in that race. No. Have you done other celebrity races before? No. Okay. Well, that means you're, well, you went after the big boys then. Yeah, I mean, when I drove for Lotus, I was getting paid. When I drove for Chevy and the Corvettes, I was getting paid. So, by definition, it made me a pro. Mm-hmm. Among your brothers, though, it seems everybody, all the guys seem to be really big car guys to one extent or another. Oh, my brothers? Yeah. Oh, man, my brother David. When I started living with him, he had five cars. Uh, BMW 507, Ferrari California Spider, Maserati Oscar. Uh, SD 455 Trans Am. I'm missing one, but he had one. Oh, yeah, Lancia Aurelia. Oh, wow. (laughs) And which was his favorite? I think the California Spider. Mm -hmm. That was a great car. Wow. The other brothers, too, were they car people, or did they just happen to have cars? Well, no, my brother Chris is, like I said, the real car nut that set the hook real deep into me. What about Keith? Yeah, Keith is um, very savvy about cars. He still has his original uh, 74 Land Cruiser. Um, He's still got his 78 BMW R100S that both he bought new and they both look great. Car that you have had in the past you no longer have that you would like to get back? Boy, it's a toss-up between the Ferrari Lusso and a 63 fuel-injected Roadster. And the fuel-injected Roadster is an NCRS certified car. It was perfect. What was your da- what kind of daily driver would you like to get back? I can't imagine you driving those cars on the uh, street. I drove the 63 yeah. Vette a lot. The Lusso, that was a little nerve-wracking to drive in L.A., so I didn't drive that a lot. But really, my uh, before I got into the cop cars, my daily driver was a 69 Vette with a Doug Nash 5-speed and a built uh, 383. You talked about 
you picked up that one squad car when you were doing Revenge of the Nerds. So you kept getting those kind of cars? You like those old Ford Galaxies, Chevy Impala, or Chevy Caprices, that kind of thing? Yeah, the car that I actually got was the uh, 78 Dodge Monaco oh. with a 440. Yeah. Which is a great car. I remember once we were on our way to Willow Springs to test the showroom stock Corvettes, and one of the cars was on the road to break in the rear axle. And he's following me, and I'm in the cop car in the Dodge, and there's that stretch between Palmdale and Lancaster where there's nothing. 10 miles, wide open. He said I was pulling him at 140. I mean, the, the speedo on the Dodge was buried. And, I mean, the car ran good. Are you a Chevy guy, a Ford guy, or a Mopar guy? Or none of the above? No, I mean, I've had them all. At the moment, I'm a Dodge guy because I have a brand new, believe it or not, a brand new 2014 Charger Police Pursuit. 2014? Yeah, four years old, brand new. Wow. With a warranty. Now that was the one that was the one before they went to the eight speed transmission and all that? Yes. And the new redesign and all that? Yes. It handles great and it's the last year of the good front end. Because once they went to the new front end design, I just find that very generic. You know, I, it could be a, a VW, it could be a Honda, it could be anything. Everybody has a list. Top three to five to 10 to 20 cars on your list that you want someday. What's the top three on your list, on Robert Carradine's list? 550 Ferrari Marinello, F40 Ferrari, F1 McLaren. Very impressive list. You remember that car? Oh, yeah. The three-seater? Yeah. Yeah. That would be cool. <laughs> that, would be, <laughs> that would be kind of cool. That would be very cool. But the 550 Marinello, that'd be my daily driver. I think it, I compare it to a Daytona, a modern Daytona. It's a front engine V12, uh, six speed tranny. It's like a modern Daytona. You miss all that racing? I do. But I had a couple of good wrecks along the way. And uh, as a result, it took some of the fun out of it because I'd never been hurt before. And once you get hurt, that you kind of remember that as soon as you start going fast. When, when did you get hurt? Uh, in 2001. I was testing at Willow Springs, and I went off the outside of turn nine. And I got the car straightened out, and I was heading head on for the end of the pit wall. And at the last possible moment, the car slightly turned to the left, so it hit on the passenger side. Otherwise, it's entirely possible we would not be having this conversation. I was doing 120 for sure. Any idea how many accidents you've had since you started driving? I mean, just first blush, I, it had to be 10 by now. Well, I'm glad you were here so we could have this conversation. <laughs> yeah, me too. My last race was the uh, 24 hours of Nürburgring in 2003. And uh, I was doing the show Lizzie McGuire. And because of the shooting schedule, by the time I got to Germany, the race was about to start. I was going to drive a car I'd never sat in or seen before in the race. And that was my last race. And I drove one stint, about an hour and 15 minutes. And the guy who took over for me was the owner. And he crashed the car. And I was thrilled because <laughs> I never had to get in another race car. So at the end, you really weren't sure you wanted to do this. Uh, no. 
You did it because you were committed to do it? No, I was. I did it because I was into the, the get-back-on-the-horse syndrome, but also I wanted to be able to experience the Nürburgring. <clears throat> was the this the race. first race since the accident? Yes. Ah, okay, I get it. Yeah, that had unnerved a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, when I went over there before the race, maybe a month before, to kind of learn the track, because I've been learning the track on a computer game, it doesn't handle the elevation change very well. The guy's <laughs> taking me around the track, and he's driving with one hand and looking at me while he's talking to me, and he's hauling ass. And I'm like, man, get your hands on the wheel. <laughs> I mean, I was not digging it. Let's put it that way. Yikes. And this guy was Mr. Nürburgring. He literally could drive it in his sleep. Actor Robert Carradine. Moving on, Raquel Pomplin. She was born in San Diego and in 2013 was named Playboy's Playmate of the Year. Now remember, the Playmates of the Year would always get a car. And it was always given to them when they made the announcement ceremony. Her car story... Well, let's say it starts off a little more domestic than Roberts did. My very first car was a, um, uh, it was a Chrysler. What year was it? 2006 or five. You know what? I'm not even going to say that's my first car because I don't, re the reason why I don't you remember. start over? <laughs> no, no, oh, okay. I, I want you to know this story. Oh, okay, go the ahead. The reason why I don't know what my first car is because my first car, it was my brother's first car that I had to share with. Like I got to drive my brother's car for like Tuesdays and Thursdays and Saturdays. And then eventually I got my first car. That's my first car. And it was a Ford Focus 2006 Ford Focus. So you had to share the alleged Sebring with your brother. Is that <laughs> yes. what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. Okay, and it was a convertible? No, it was just like a regular sedan. Like it four was- Four door. Yeah, four door. I remember it was red. Oh, well, that changes everything. Everything. Okay. All right, well, as long as you uh, got that straight. So where did he get that car from? Was it a hand-me-down? It was a hand Actually, my parents bought it. It was a used car that my parents bought for him to, like, destroy as uh -huh. his first car. And then and then they said, well, you drive it too, Raquel, while you, while you get experience. And then eventually they're like, okay, we, we can tell you're a good driver. We'll get you a brand new, like, from the dealership Ford Focus uh, hatchback. So what you're saying, you're outing your brother, who apparently is a horrible driver. Is that what you're saying? I think it wasn't about how he drove. It's how he took care of his cars. He was bad. Really? They were always dirty. Give me a definition. Did he, like, did he like do Starsky and Hutch moves in the middle of the street or Probably. something like that? Probably. <laughs> you know, spin his tires, uh, shred them, and that kind of thing? You know, I learned to drive in Mexico and Tijuana, Baja California. So it was a very th thorough world country driving. So you had to speed to survive. So I think, and then, and, then, and then there was a lot of potholes everywhere. So it was a little bit of that. I think it was just like, if, it, if anything happens to the car, like, we're okay because it's a used car. <laughs> it was more like that. So what kind of car was that that you got to learn on? But I don't remember which car it is. Okay, okay. So that was in Mexico. <clears throat> so really, you didn't drive on streets then, right? Is that what you're saying? You, you drove on dirt roads or something? Or? I wish. No, oh. it was streets. It oh, was streets. But everybody just, it's a different kind of driving over there. Who taught you? Um, it's a very interesting question because uh, a relative uh, my ex-boy my very first boyfriend taught me but I think my dad refined it <laughs> see my dad didn't have time my boyfriend started teaching me and then my dad's like okay now I have time 
My dad's a very busy man. Don't get me wrong. He loves me. And I have him. But he was a very busy man. And I understood. And I was very impatient. Eventually, I think it was my dad who finished teaching me correctly. <laughs> okay, so one of the things he taught you correctly that maybe the boyfriend didn't teach you correctly. Parallel parking. And just getting out of anything in reverse. Let's say you're stuck between two cars and the only way you can get out is in reverse. Okay. Like I didn't, I wasn't confident about that. And my dad made me confident about that. <laughs> oh, good. So the boyfriend didn't help your confidence. No, then, he kept saying. yelling at me. And actually, when I learned, he was, that's why he's an ex-boyfriend, guys. <laughs> when I learned to drive, the car I learned to drive in was a van. Um, oh, so the Chrysler is now a van. That's, you know, I'm just remembering all this. That's okay. I'm just trying to keep track. Go ahead. That's, I think the reason why I get all confused is because I got my, I learned how to drive in a van, but my experience built up was in that other car. So I always like to say that it was the other car that taught me how to. Parallel parking in a van. It was, it was in the other car. That's what I'm saying. Oh. I learned how to like drive straight, That's stay in my lane, brake, yeah. accelerate. Brake's good. Yeah. In a van. <laughs> okay. And was then, it like one of those vans that had windows, or was it a van that was kind of like it a had business windows. van? It was like a traveling van. Oh, okay. Like a family van. Okay. Yeah, the big ones, square ones. It was it was a little bit traumatic. <laughs> and then I stopped, and then and then I finished learning in that car. I think it was like two afternoons in the van, and then I stopped. I was like, it's too much. I can't. <laughs> That's okay. how it started. <laughs> I like that. Okay. Very good. So... You learned how to drive that way, and your first car was that Ford. A Correct? Ford, yes. Yes. What was the first car you bought? That I bought was a um, Hyundai Accent, because that's all I could afford. <laughs> back and in the day. Back in the day. You're <laughs> yes. not driving that now. No, I'm driving. Actually, I don't have a car right now, guys, because I my lease ended. I had a Mini Cooper. I had a Mini Cooper, and I love my Mini. Uh, but it was a lease, so it ended, and I was like, oh, what am I going to get? What am I going to get? And in, the, in between and that, like, I haven't really gone to get a car. I can't make up my mind. How are so, you getting to and so fro? So I'm driving my husband's uh, uh, Silverado. <laughs> ah. It's more safe anyway, so okay. whatever. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Hey, husband. So husband is not here. Husband oh, went away. Oh, okay. Then never mind. Somewhere. Sorry. She looked at you. I kind of went, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Did they tell you in advance about the Playmate of the Year car? How did that come about? Um, no, and it was a bit of a surprise because I got to go to the um, viewing party for the F-Type because it came out again that year after, what, like 20-something years or something like that? Um, and I remember I was with the COO, I think, that I went with the party of Playboy, and I told them there's no way in my entire life I will ever drive this car. Well... Well, girl, <laughs> you drove that car. <laughs> wow, so that was the car? I think that was exactly the same car. I, not the same car, but it was an F-Type. The one that we saw on the on the party, it was a blue, like light blue. The one I had was a white one. What was the red one at the uh, ceremony? There was actually three cars at the ceremony. There was a red one, a gray, like a dark gray one, and a white one. That was just like a showing. I didn't get my car until... Like maybe four months later. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> you know, paperwork, guys, paperwork. <laughs> but I kept it four months later, so it's okay. <laughs> okay, well, at least you got it. That's yeah. the important thing.
All right, so any adventures in that car? Oh my God, so many. First of all, I love speed and not the drug. I love speed in the car. Yes, thank you for clarifying that. And Playboy thanks you for clarifying yes, that. Yes. Yeah, uh, and Jaguar does too, now Jaguar that I think too. about it. Yeah, they do, yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, but I took it to the, the what is it, Hoover Dam? Is it Hoover Dam, the one in uh, Las Vegas? Yeah. Hoover Dam. I, Give or take a little. That area. was my dream. <laughs> I took it to the Hoover Dam. I took it to Vegas. It was it was a new a, a nice uh, show off in the strip. <laughs> um, oh my God! It's just speeding in it. it. Was those are the great stories? Cause speeding in it. In it, yes. Did you ever get never caught? got a ticket? Really? Never got a ticket. And I was most of the time I would drive it at ninety. When I would go up, but I think the highest I went up was like 105. Because I'm a scary cat. I, there's no way it could go higher than 105. 105 was the number in my head that was like, it's safe. Okay. You know, some people go to 120. And it's like, uh, I can't. No, it's probably not a good idea. No. No. no <laughs> and 105 gave me so much adrenaline that I was like, okay, I got it. I felt it. I'm gone. But most of the time I was driving it at 90 because you couldn't feel the 90. You now, feel it. how many people did you have in it with you at the time? Uh, well, I had my best friend. Well, when I was driving at 90? No, no, when no, I was no, always no. by myself. No, I was talking about was who, got to, who got to drive it with me? Yeah. Well, no, who, um, you said you did what, 105? 105, yeah. Who was in it when you did 105? I was by myself. Really? <laughs> yeah. So you got the car, and that's that's one of the int more interesting <laughs> adventures. Did, uh, did did any of the girls beforehand, like uh, I assume you knew the Playmate of the Year beforehand and all that, uh -huh. did they tell you anything about the cars beforehand? Did they w warn you? Did they say anything about uh, it? No. It, I don't think the car is a... Is a I don't think the car is a point of uh, conversation between the Playmates because we never know what we're going to get. So it's more like a surprise. And... Um, and honestly, like, we're getting a car. Who cares? <laughs> you know? <laughs> you're giving me a car. In my case, it was, it, was a, it, was, it was a one-year lease, but I was the first one to be a one-year lease. Before me, they were getting the car. Yeah. So who cares? Yeah. <laughs> I don't care what car you're giving me. <laughs> okay, that's good. But they only gave it to you for one year. Starting from me and going on for the, the playmates. Well, you were the first of the one-year leases? Yeah, and then it kept What playing. happened to the gal before you? She got to keep her car? The gal before me didn't even get a car. Yes. I think she got a motorcycle. Oh, um, okay. And then the ones before us, they got to keep the car. Did you ever consider getting something else besides a car? No. I do have my M1. I drive a motorcycle. I can drive a motorcycle. But it's LA. You want to be in a car, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah. I, I like wouldn't that. drive my motorcycle in LA. Yeah, it's not good. I did. No. I drove a motorcycle for a while in L.A. Yeah. Anytime. My husband still does, and he's like, ugh. But, I'm like, but, but then he's like, but I beat traffic, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. Then we caught up with Raquel's husband, and I asked him for the truth. So how does she drive? Oh, my God. Uh, well, even though she drives fast, she's a, a um, safe driver. Be, she's a choose safe driver. your words carefully. She's a, she's a no, safe driver. No, you don't to fake it say the tell the truth okay she's crazy then <laughs> yeah i got a little a little scared sometimes but it's all good 
Very good. Part of uh, part of life. That's Alex Pomplin. When it comes to auto racing, NASCAR also has their big, well-funded race teams and those who are, well, they have to scratch and claw for position and get the most out of their racing budget. 27-year-old Matty Benedetto grew up in Northern California, and he races for one of those teams. First streetcar was a 2006 Mustang uh, back, yeah, back in the day. <laughs> How did you get it? Where'd it come from? So, uh, actually just um, found it online on Auto Trader, I believe. It was just looking for, uh, you know, something, a six-cylinder car that wasn't going to be too expensive on insurance and whatnot with me being only, I was 15 at the time, uh, was about to get my license at 16, and so, uh, yeah, just found it, and, uh, and my my parents uh, surprised me and, and bought me that for first car and, and uh, rolled around with it for a while. And fast forward uh, now a handful of years later, and <laughs> a lot of cars later, my, my lineup of vehicles is definitely vastly different. Okay, so tell me, what, what cars do you have in your garage right now? So I'm currently driving a uh, – my temporary vehicle is a Toyota Highlander. Um, but I'm waiting on, I was surprised I actually got this. So when I, you know, switched and was back with Toyota this year, um, it gave me an excuse to ask for this vehicle. I got, I of got, course. You know, a, company, of- a company vehicle that honestly, at the end of it, I'm going to, you know, I'm not giving it back. I'm going to, I'm going to buy it or, or keep it. So, um, but I got, I'm getting and should have it next month, a Voodoo Blue TRD Pro 4Runner, which will be, really cool so i wasn't sure when they were like hey what vehicle would you like you know up to this you know cost limit or whatever and i was like "Ooh, this is gonna be a tough one i don't know if i'll get the approval and sure enough after a little digging they got it done so, really that's great yeah so i've got that and also a uh, lexus rcf which is also super super fun as i understand it though by the time you got that mustang your career if you will or your hobby had already started several years earlier, something about uh, a connection between that and um, your Little League play? Uh, yeah, so I, um, when I was, actually, that's how my uh, well, career came about, really, is, is I grew up riding four-wheelers, dirt bikes, was wide open on everything in the world, I'm out of control. And nobody in my family ever raced. Uh, my dad liked cars. He drag raced a little bit for fun, but nothing crazy. Um Never had watched NASCAR a day in his life, nor had anyone in my family. And he was passing through the channels and passed by NASCAR. I made him go back and watch it every single week. And he was like, what in the world do you want to watch that for? But but watching every week, then he became a fan. My parents both became fans. We watched it every week. And that was uh, and a friend I played Little League Baseball with. They uh, raced at a local dirt track, heard that I was obsessed with racing and was wide open on everything. So we uh, they were like, oh, hey, come come watch with us and check it out, you know, watch my son race. And so we went out and, and obviously the rest is history. My dad asked me if I wanted to do it. And of course you can guess the answer. Yeah. Just a little bit. What do you remember from watching those races? Who was it that you glommed on? Uh, Cause usually, you know, you, back in the day, you're a kid, you're watching these things. You usually pick up on uh, a personality or one of the drivers. Who, who, who did you pick up on? Yeah. Jeff Burton was my guy, actually. That's who I, so I, I remember first time watching it, and I, I loved it. Made my dad sit there with me and watch the whole race, and he was like, "Okay, I guess I'll sit and watch it with you." you know? <laughs> but then he was like, "Oh, okay, this is actually pretty cool." But I picked out, uh, I saw the number ninety nine Exide Batteries car. That um, that was a cool looking car. That black purple 
and blue uh, scheme. So he, um, which I actually got to run as a throwback scheme at Darlington last year, which was really cool. But uh, I saw that car and was like, I, I thought it was a really cool looking car. And then started following Jeff Burton, liked him as a person and uh, just became a big fan. Did you have the the model car and the, the racing jersey and all that other stuff? Uh, yep, yep. So I bought the merchandise. Yeah, I got a diecast car. I think, I don't know if it was for birthday or Christmas or what it was. Uh, too long ago for me to remember, but I remember, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, always loving the car. And so I got a diecast car really shortly after. And, and um, yeah, still still actually uh, have it. So that's um well, that's really cool. When did the racing become from just a hobby that you did to something you were seriously thinking of making a living out of? Uh, you know, it actually came more from other people pushing us because we just did it for fun, you know. I, uh, so we went out and we're just racing at seven years old is when I got my first go-kart. We're out there just doing it for fun. And um, then at, you know, 12 years old, fast forward, where I was in the top division out there in California and, um, you know, the outlaw carts at Cycleland Speed. We're racing against full-grown adults, and um, that's where Kyle Larson and I grew up racing. But we, uh, yeah, so we're out there winning races, winning championships, and beating up on uh, a bunch of grown-ups. And so people were actually more so telling my parents, like, hey, you need to pursue this map that good. And my parents were like, really? Yeah, you think so? And really, it wasn't taken that serious until about 12 years old, and we started looking into uh, pursuing it. And we were kind of ready, you know, my parents and us were ready for a change anyways, thinking about, you know, moving somewhere or not expecting North Carolina. But, uh, yeah, so once people were telling us and pushing us, we knew North Carolina was an NASCAR country, and we uh, we checked it out and visited. Oh, so you moved to uh, North Carolina when you were in your teens. Yeah, I was only uh, 12, I think about to turn 13 years old. So what was the big difference living in California compared to living in North Carolina? Um, you know, it wasn't too much of a culture shock for me because, you know, growing up in Grass Valley uh, was, you know, out, we're out there in the country and, and it was really quiet and nice there. So uh, moving out to Hickory, Hickory, North Carolina is actually a bigger uh, city, you know, and, and than Grass Valley was. So it was almost moving to somewhere where it's a little bit busier nothing much it's still a fairly quiet town but um but that and uh yeah just some difference uh, some you know minor differences and but nothing uh, nothing that really culture shocked me too much and i was pretty young at that time too you race right now for several of the smaller racing teams on- um, with levine family racing this year obviously it's it's not a big a deal as some of the really big guys like hendrick and and uh, some of the other big names out there but there are always challenges and, and if i'm not mistaken i read something somewhere recently that as far as um sponsorships and stuff it's a difficult with smaller teams, sometimes it's difficult to get sponsorships as opposed to always knowing the Hendricks and everybody else are going to be there. Yeah, so my path to get here has been pretty uh, pretty interesting and out of the ordinary. So I've had to, uh, like you said, kind of – I got an opportunity with Joe Gibbs Racing back, you know, years ago in 2009 and 2010. Got cut short, just tough uh, timing with, you know, economy. Um, and I didn't have, like you said, I didn't have any funding behind me, so uh, you know. But I only got to run a handful of races. But fast forward, I had to uh, drive for smaller, underfunded teams, make the most of my, uh, make the most of my equipment, and get the most out of you know our whole team together. And um, but yeah, this year, you know, fast forward, so I was with 
two different teams in the Cup Series of BK Racing and then Go Fast Racing, and we got all their best finishes and both teams' existences. And uh, and then this year, I got best opportunity of my life moving to Levine Family Racing, and uh, we have a you know an alliance with Joe Gibbs Racing, and we're uh, a growing team for sure. And obviously, we have some best cars. There was an article that apparently showed up in Sporting News about Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin, something where some of the drivers kind of chipped in to help sponsor you. Oh, that was last year. Yeah, so I was driving for Go Fast Racing, and like you know, like I said, they were. Uh, you know, just uh, we were a very small, underfunded family team and uh, great people. And they were, you know, I was lucky they gave me the opportunity to drive for them for two years. And uh, but yeah, you know, it's tough there. You know, we were trying to do everything we could to, uh, you know, we were running on a very tight budget and, you know, had some races that were unsponsored. And we were going into a race weekend and um, just basically tried to, uh, you know, reach out to, to companies um, through social media just uh, to see if we take on any small sponsor last second. And it actually turned into an interesting story where some of the drivers uh, jumped on board and spread the word, and they actually wanted to help, which wasn't our intention at all, but which, uh, was pretty neat to show the respect that um, you know they had. So that works. You could actually appeal online and the sponsors react. Um, you know, it, so it ended up getting us uh, Zynga Poker as a sponsor. So the word just spread so much just through a simple little video of saying, like, uh, you know, hey, we're unsponsored this week and reaching out to corporate America. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely an unorthodox way of doing it. Wait a minute. I'm writing this down. I'm, I'm going to write this down because next time we need sponsors for the podcast, I am just going to throw it out there on social media. Because it, it worked for Matt. Social media, we found out. <laughs> Absolutely, you never know. It, it, anything's possible, I suppose. So you're coming here to uh, to Auto Club Speedway. You've kind of finished in the middle of the pack over your uh, last four years of racing out here. How have you found the track, and and what is the key to really finishing in the top echelon? You think? You know, like I was saying, my situations and years past have been driving for smaller, underfunded teams, so you know wins for teams like that were more like if you finish top 25 um which we did quite often or a lot um but top 25 top 20 would be like a win because because the you know you're running on a sixth of the budget of the top teams you don't have the engineering the new race cars the new equipment all that stuff so uh but now you know fast forward to my opportunity this year where you know we led the most laps in the daytona 500 and uh last weekend at phoenix we're you know, running between ninth and thirteenth or so, um, and and had a little uh, um, little issue at the end of the race with the alternator that hindered our finish. But um, so faster race cars, so we expect much better results. To but uh, yeah, Auto Club. I mean, you know, to restarts are going to be really important there because the track's so big, so wide. We're going to go in the corner and turn one and probably be four, five, six wide. Who knows? And you're that's where you're going to make up. Uh, most of your track position. Obviously, our goal is to try and run up there, uh, up there in the top ten. Would love to sneak off a win this year. But we've been uh, we've been fast, so that's encouraging. Who's going to be the one of the guys you're going to have to really watch out for or as far as uh, other racers? Because there are some guys that are starting off pretty hot. All the Toyotas have been pretty good, which is nice. You know, uh, I'm a part of the Toyota camp, so um, Kyle Busch obviously has been. He's finished in the top ten, I believe. Uh, oh, every race other than. Uh, yeah, I think every race so far. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's been up there. He's always competing. And, uh, you know, Denny's been up there, too. But, yeah, Kyle's been a, a tough one. And Martin Truex has been up front. 
Um, he's finished second twice already, I think. So those are probably a couple to look out look out for. You've been driving some other vehicles as well. I, what was it, Ford last year? Yeah, yeah, I was with a Ford team last year. So when you get behind the wheel of a Toyota, and I know that a lot of these cars are very much the same because of the you have to stick to certain aspects of the car as far as inspections and all that. So they have to be kind of similar. Do, do they ride differently, or is it mostly all about the power plants? Um, you know, it's it's more actually about yeah, like you said, the the rules and regulations and everything within uh, NASCAR are super super strict. So it's actually more about the uh, support that you get from the manufacturer. So the bodies are different on the race cars. You know, I'm in a Camry, and um, the Fords run the Mustangs, the Chevy runs the Camaros. Um, but we, uh, it's more about the support you get. You know, the engines. Um, you want to have obviously good stout uh, engines from your uh, manufacturer, which we do have, and all the engineering and support and stuff that you get from you know Toyota is is what makes the team good or good or not Mm -hmm. okay car that you once you mentioned you had a lot of cars what about uh, the car you no longer have that you would like to get back someday if you could oh what would you want back oh you know i i've owned a, a few different um a few different fun cars over the years and whatnot but honestly uh I've owned a lot of cars that were like really highly modified and, you know, just fast and super car. I've had some 800 horsepower cars, this and that. Uh, maybe it's that I'm getting old, but actually <laughs> my, uh, my Lexus, the RCF has made me not really regret anything I've sold because it's by far the most, you know, fun, uh, coolest car that I've, I've had. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it's nice. It's on a full air ride setup. Uh, and I have like, so I have HRE wheels on it. It's on AccuAir setup and stuff, so it's highly modified. It's got it's got a full exhaust on it and everything, so it sounds cool. It's fun, but it also just looks good and it rides nice. Uh, so it's more of a nice, fun car versus an obnoxious, uh, you know, what a race car like I've had in the past. Ah, okay. So I know you're a Toyota sponsor, so I'm going to ask you this, but you don't don't feel the need to necessarily say everything Toyota. But the question would be. All right, everybody has a top list of cars they want someday. Give me three of your top cars that's on your list Matt Benedetto wants in his garage someday. Oh, man, I'm a pretty simple guy. I, um, I'm i not just saying this anything due to the Toyota fact. Uh, of course the Lexus not. Was what, uh, the Lexus was actually what I wanted, period, regardless who I was driving for. Um, and my wife's owned... Uh, uh, owned a Lexus before that, so they're mine. And my, my family owns two Lexuses, so we're kind of that's kind of our uh, favorite and go-to. And my dad's had a to- so this is no joke. This is, my dad's owned a Tacoma since 2002, since brand new, and it has like 300,000 miles on it, and he still drives it daily. So, uh, so that I don't know. That's my favorite car going. But if I were to, I don't know, to pick off something, I, I am a car enthusiast. I really like. Uh, the McLaren 720s; those are uh, those are pretty cool. My my buddy actually uh, has a 650 in his on his showroom floor. Uh, my buddy Cosmo, and it's it's pretty sexy. Wow, that sounds pretty nice. You're talking serious yeah, territory twin there. Turbo, yeah, twin turbo V8. They're uh, you know supercar level, but um, they're actually they're not. I don't want to say they're affordable, but compared to your Ferraris, Lamborghinis, you know, it's competitors. It's definitely uh, 
a lot of car for the money. Okay, so let's say one day you get a chance to do a cameo in a car movie. That's a hard question. Probably, oh, I got it in 60 seconds, obviously. Uh, Ooh. <laughs> obviously a classic. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I wouldn't mind uh, having a little a little piece in that. I like <laughs> That's very good. That's very good. Oh, I'm noticing the racers from time to time get involved and they get angry at each other. And it seems, you know, Kyle Busch is the one that always gets, it kind of gets involved with other drivers on the on the racetrack. Do you have like any sworn enemies on this uh, on this in NASCAR that we should be keeping an eye out for for this weekend? <laughs> Luckily, no, not yet. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, you you have your uh, you have your issues issues periodically with people for sure. That just is always going to happen. You're racing competitively, so you get mad, maybe go yell at somebody uh, from time to time, but typically it gets cleared up. And I've never had any. Uh, you know, real major issues with anybody other than just little on-track stuff and go talk to them afterwards and have your words and it's cleared up. All right. Well, we know that when you finally do get some sort of rival, then you know you'll have made it. It'll be just like WWE. (laughs) Yeah, man, it's crazy. Hey, remember to subscribe to our podcast on Radio.com, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, KNX1070.com, so that way you will be notified when a new Talking About Cars is uploaded and you won't miss any of our episodes. And if you're on iTunes, please rate us, give us five stars, leave a comment what you think of the podcast. Our website is TalkingAboutCars.net. And don't forget to follow us on social media. We are on Instagram, we're on Facebook, and, of course, on Twitter. And if you're in Southern California, don't forget to join us at the Classic Auto Show. We're going to be there March 16th and 17th, and we're going to be in booth 0, or O, that's the letter, 1101. Check us out, and I'll be there with Hot Rod Bob Beck of the Great American Auto Scene or Gas. So it's going to be a lot of fun. If you get a chance to go out there, come out and say hi. Until next time, I'm Randy Cardoon. Join me as we have some fun talking about cars.